Welcome to the Catholic Center. Welcome to the Catholic Center. Welcome to the Catholic Center. You transferred to University of Georgia. You transferred and you dropped into our Catholic Center. Uh, what was the backstory? I kind of inserted myself. Yeah, it's nice. Yeah. Um, this past year, that last school year, I was set to go to Kennesaw, and my roommate situation got really messed up. I was supposed to live with five random girls, and by looking at the bios, I was like, oh, man, this is going to be really hard. We were all very, very different, very different backgrounds. Uh, and so I got a little nervous, but I was like, okay, we're just going to power through. And so it was like, it was pretty late in the summer. I want to say almost the first week of August and I was getting ready to, to move in. I had already gotten a lot of my college stuff and I wasn't even at home. I was house sitting for a neighbor at the time. And I got an alert saying that uh, four of my five classes were moved online. I was like, oh, okay, so I'm about to go and spend all this money on room and board and a meal plan and live with people I'm not crazy about living with just to be in my dorm room all the time. That sounds awful. And so I was like, all right. So I called my mom and I was like, mom, I don't think I'm going to go. I'm going to stay home and just do all online school. And she said, keep your job and we're good. So I called my boss and I was like, hey, I'm not going to leave. I'm going to stay. He was like, great news. That's awesome. We could use you. And so I stayed at home, worked, did online school. And we had moved that summer. And so it was really cool to transition into that new place with my family. We didn't move very far, but we moved from my childhood house. And so it was a really cool year of transition and getting to know myself and getting to know my family. Because, I mean, in high school, I was gone all day. And then, you know, doing online school, I was home all day. Um, so just seeing like how much my mom truly does in a day, even though it doesn't make sense how she always has something to do because she didn't have a job, but she'd come home at like 3 PM and I'm like, where were you? She's like running all my errands. Um, but that's where I came from. That's what you asked, right? I kind of mm-hmm. lost, yeah. kind of lost the sense of the question. And so what made you transfer? I always, I always wanted to go to UGA. I just didn't get in the first time. I was, uh, one of the unlucky people. Just kidding. There's a ton of unlucky people who don't get in. And it was really sad. Um, But I wanted to go out of state really badly. And then my dad was like, Claire, this is L. Miller thing. You can't pass it up. And he showed me the numbers for out-of-state school and in-state school. And that sealed the deal for me. I mean, I was staring at thousands thousands of dollars in student debt in the face if I had gone out of state versus minimal to no student debt at all if I stayed in state. And I was like, no questions asked. I'm staying here. Um, so as soon as, yeah, as soon as the application opened up for transfer students, I applied on the spot. And at the time, I just switched my major a couple weeks ago. I wanted to do physical therapy, and UGA's physical therapy program is so much better than Kennesaw's. Um, and, yeah. I, I mean, I didn't grow up a dog fan or anything, but it was just the place to be. Mm-hmm. In my head, at least. So yeah. And did you? Where did you get your conviction from? Did you go through youth ministry? Did you go through like how have you been feeding your own spiritual life over the course of all of this? Um, in high school, I didn't have a ton of friends. Um, I, by the grace of God, didn't really have a ton of um, what's the word? My moral compass wasn't really rattled. Um, and so when I, you know, I came into high school with a massive friend group. It was, there was a lot of us. And then it slowly started to break apart because they were developing smaller friend groups and getting into things that I was looking at and thinking that's not fulfilling and or right. And so I stepped away Um but would still talk to these people. I just wouldn't necessarily hang out with them on the weekends. But then that turned into like, you know, that only can last for so long. And so those friendships didn't last. And so I was just with my family a lot. Um, and I was going through confirmation class freshman and sophomore year, but it wasn't 
Um, it wasn't super uh, deep. And so it was a lot of stuff that I had just like known. And so they would like teach you something and I'd be like, oh, I know that. And so it was kind of just like a place for me to go and be around Catholic people who had to be there and kind of just goof off because I knew like all the people who were volunteering because I had grown up with these people. Um, but I've always had a deep desire to understand. And with the depths of Catholicism and the depths of God, my my curiosity is always running. I mean, as a kid, I would I was like two, three years old, and I'd be at Mass with my family, and I'd just be pointing at everything in the church, asking what it was. Um, and so I've always just asked a ton of questions. And so I would go home and ask my parents, like, what this means or why do we believe this? And they would answer my questions, but I never really let it change uh, the way I carried myself because even though I wasn't uh, doing these things on the weekends with my friends, quote friends, uh, people I knew, I still just didn't carry myself as a Christian from my day to day. Um, my church uh, backed up to my high school, and so after school I'd walk over to adoration, but no one knew what I was doing. Like I was very under the radar, and then uh, junior year or senior year, sometime around there, uh, was when I was like, okay, I kind of want to take responsibility for this. I don't want to, I'm tired of piggybacking, piggybacking. Is that a right word? Piggybacking? Mm -hmm. It doesn't sound right. Um, tired of feeding off my parents' drive to know, to know the church and to know their faith because they're super involved in Regnum Christi. Um, and we're always inviting us, me and my siblings into prayer and, and to learn and to, and to watch all these different things and to listen to all this stuff. But yeah, I was like, okay, I'm gonna, gonna do something. And so I saw that these people that I'd gone through confirmation class with for, for so long didn't show up anymore, like even for Sunday mass and they would all just go to, to young life or to some non-denominational service, which are not inherently bad but it was a crisis of people don't know what the truth is um, because they're not finding the truth captivating, which is really sad. Um, and so what I did was I met with my pastor and I met with my youth minister and I asked them if we could do a teen-led night of praise and worship adoration uh, in a, like a speaker series. And they were like, okay. And so... I was thrown into this position of leadership and I'd never had a position of leadership before and really got to see that side of myself come out because I had never flexed those muscles before, which was really interesting. But I found a group of like six teens that were on board with what I was saying. And, and so we, we got this night going um, and it was really successful, uh, but over the course of a couple months, we did it every month. Um, it, it slowly was taken back from me and became less teen led and more, uh, youth minister led and faith formation led. And that was where the crisis was because, uh, a lot of my faith formation, um, was, was led by just older men and women. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I'm so grateful for the example they've set for everybody that goes through that program. But there's just not a ton of relatability. Um, and for high school, middle school kids, when they don't see someone they can relate to, they check out. And so to have that taken back away from me, I was like, all right, well, the focus of this is now being shifted again. And as soon as that happened, it became less successful. And eventually, like, it kind of just disintegrated and, and it was no longer. But that was when COVID started to happen. Um, and so, you know, church shut down and I was so confused <laughs> with my life. <laughs> didn't know what I was doing. I had just gotten denied from UGA, was going to Kennesaw, didn't want to go, um, all these things. And so I just started asking questions again, um, much deeper questions of like, why am I even Catholic? And, uh, yeah, just like wanting to read theology and fell in love with it and started to go to daily mass when church opened back up like midway through the summer um, and developed a desire for scripture 
and a desire to to know Our Lady and understand, you know, the ins and outs to which I could of our faith. So it's been it's been a journey because like, I mean, that was a quick synopsis of it, but high school was rough. I mean, not having friends in, in high school, I mean, I, I know a couple people, it, te- it seems to be a trend of, of people I know who, who weren't in the party scene in high school for them to not have had friends, but um, my, my siblings are older too, so like my oldest sister is married, so she was living out of the house. My brother was in grad school and then got, got married. Um, and so was also out of the house. And then my older sister was in college. And so it was me, my younger sister and and my parents. Um, and through that time, like there was just a lot of death in our family and, um, struggles with like my little sister having autoimmune disease, which affects a lot of her, her behavior and her personality. And then my older sister ended up getting Lyme disease and having to drop out of school. And so there was just a ton of tension. Like, I feel like every single school year was something new. And so trying to like, be the, be the one kid that was okay while there was all this chaos ensuing around me, uh, took a toll on me for sure. Um, and praise God that I've claimed victory over that part of my life. But for a long time, I let it really define me. I kind of was just like, okay, I'm the kid who does great in school, excels in sports, loves Jesus, good thing my parents don't have to keep my their eye on me. I can just like sit in the back and like watch everything happen. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was hard, but it's, I'm really grateful for the journey that I've had because especially um, leading nine girls every week over the course of this past summer, I have seen how the Lord has used those different pockets of my life to, to lead those girls coming from so many different backgrounds. What is that? What is what? The What are you talking about? The nine I, girls? Yeah, so this past summer I was a camp counselor, and so I would lead nine girls every week for a week. Um, and I got every character imaginable. Um, kids, I, I mean, girls I could not relate to at all. Uh, and then girls who I thought I, like were me you know, athletic, like pretty good at school, come from a good family, you know, just like have like a lot going for them, you could say. And then girls who, you know, wanted nothing to do with anything, were completely checked out, very introverted. Um, And I was still able to make those connections because the Lord just used those like periods of desolation in my life to be like, all right, Claire, like find an island with these girls and go there and love them there. And so, yeah, my, my testimony is, is not super extreme, but it's kind of all over the place. What happened from, uh, the time where you started to dapple, like you said, you started to go back to mass during COVID and then you started to read scripture, theology, and what happened between that time and the time where you were going to a camp? Um, I was just attending daily mass and developed a prayer life. It wasn't consistent by any means. The, day, the daily mass was consistent, but I didn't know how to pray through a mass. I didn't know how to actually sit in adoration and pray. I would just do these things and go and just kind of thought that the epitome of this relationship with Christ was knowing that he was working, even though I didn't know it or couldn't hear him. Um, and so, yeah, I fell in love with only a part, a a portion of what I now know to be true. Um, and in that time just realized that that passion of mine that I have, I had kind of let go of for, for youth ministry was definitely still there. And I had, I remember sitting in this coffee shop. It was my favorite coffee shop at home. And I remember this little girl walking in and she like she was face down on her phone and as most people are but she was so little and I was thinking to myself how sad it is that and this is this is a, a centered around the time of like a ton of rioting um, a lot of stuff with the church being exposed and so there's just a lot of 
darkness in the world. I mean, there still is, but especially around this time, this was like first semester or second semester freshman year. I don't recall, but um, I just remember looking at this girl and and thinking, and and I don't know her situation, but thinking of the the reality of um, so many people are are puppeted, and and we take what we see on social media and um, on these headlines, I mean, I don't care which outlet you're looking at left or right. You, you just take them for what they are and you believe them. And especially when it came to the church, I was like, I know so many people who, who read something that isn't true and they believe it and they run with it. And it's, it's drawing people away. Like no one is thinking for themselves. Everyone is being puppeted and we're not puppets. You know, we are all called to this life. We are all chosen to be here. And that's, it's dehumanizing to to let ourselves be subject to the media. And so I was thinking to myself ways that this could be avoided or or changed. And the the conclusion I came to was that I need to talk to people. And the way to talk to people was to insert myself in an environment in which that opportunity is given to me and, and to catch them at a young age. Because I don't know the, the correct statistic, but I think by the time people are 20, you might know this more than I, they basically decide whether or not they're going to remain Catholic for the rest of their lives. It might be earlier. It might, I think it might be when you're like 16. And so if you can catch them there and tell them the truth, you could potentially have an impact on the rest of their lives. And if they're going to live the rest of their lives in accordance with the faith, like who are they going to talk to and bring into that? And so the Lord really threw Damascus, uh, which is the mission campus I was on in Ohio, into my lap. I was, it was very unexpected. I had no idea what it was. I had never been to the Midwest. Ohio was like just a state that kind of existed to me. Um, had no intention of ever going there. And applied on a complete whim, got it, accepted it, and went. And it was exactly that. Like I had the opportunity to look these daughters of God in the eye and say that they are worthy and chosen and they're loved. And those simple words, when, when heard enough, they begin to believe them. And it was astounding to me how many of them actually didn't believe them. And like how many girls really didn't believe that they were loved. Like I had a girl just break down crying. And she was like, I, I don't believe I'm loved and here's why. And had a laundry list of reasons that she felt very outcast, even by her own family. And in that moment, I was able to speak life into that and declare truth over that and help her come out victorious over those thoughts. So, I mean, yeah, it, it honestly was a really short time frame, but really big upper trajectory of my life on mission because I went from like not even really understanding uh, the sacraments in their wholeness and in their beauty to asking myself a couple questions that are simple on the surface but have a lot of depth to them to then being 12 hours away for the entire summer preaching the gospel and falling in love with the sacraments in their wholeness and in their beauty. And so coming back was a shock for my family and my friends because they were like, what happened to you? And I remember on the plane ride home, I was thinking to myself what my conversations were going to look like. Not that you can actually prepare for them because you don't know what they're going to look like, but I just had this thought of my friends are going to think I'm different. And I am, but it's not that I'm less of myself, but I'm more... I'm now more of who I was meant to be all along because I've stepped into my identity. I was hiding behind this like, oh, Claire doesn't really care that much. I mean, she's Christian. She's not going to like force it upon anyone. And, and I wouldn't still, but I've, I've truly come to know how important I am in the Lord's plan because someone told me that in the same way that like these girls that I was mentoring and, and leading told me that they didn't feel worthy and loved. I mean, I didn't feel like I was an important part of the Lord's plan. I didn't think he would actually use me. And then someone told me that because they said yes to the Lord. 
and like the and and watching those little yeses become really really big yeses was so cool so then you come back from Damascus and you get ready to move to Athens yeah I mean I had a four-day turnaround so I got back and I had four days to unpack from the summer sleep because sleep was minimal um and and move in it was really quick but I don't I think if it wasn't quick I wouldn't have wanted to go like I would have wanted to stay home and and talk to my family and you know have home cooked meals for a little while but it was a good thing that it was quick but it was also really shocking uh to come from a culture to to leave that culture of 200 missionaries that I'm with that are like just sprinting after Jesus and then coming home and going to my home parish and being like oh my gosh everybody in the pew is asleep right now like do you realize what's happening on the altar and I'm not a I'm not a big crier but it was my first Sunday back because I got back on a Sunday and we went to like a 4 p.m mass and I actually just started to cry in the pews and my mom looks over at me and she's like she whispered and she's like what's going on I was like no one gets it no one gets it. Everyone's asleep. Like everyone is so complacently walking up to receive the Eucharist. There's no, there's like, there's nothing there. Like I can see it. Like I have this awareness about me that I didn't have before and I can see it and it's breaking my heart. And I remember I called one of my friends and his name is Grayson. He's, he's really, really awesome. Um, I was like, Grayson, being in the airport and and being home and just seeing these people and where they are, like I want to stop and talk to every single person and tell them about the truth of the gospel and tell them about the truth and the miracle that takes place every single time we're at mass. And I said, but my heart is literally breaking. I feel so broken. And he kind of paused for a moment. He was like, Claire, you can't let the heartbreak you're experiencing deter you from this mission. He said, but we should actually be striving even more. Striving isn't the right word. We should be desiring even more to let our heart break tenfold for the people around us because it's, it's, in that com- it's in being moved with that compassion that things happen. Like before Jesus performed a miracle, his heart would be moved with compassion for the individual in front of him, and then he would proceed. He was like, continue to let your heart break and let it break even more. Like let that be a prayer. When you're, next time you're in, adoration or in the chapel like asked Jesus to let your heart break even more for the people around you and you know (laughs) asking Jesus for things sometimes is a little scary especially when you're praying for something like that or for humility because he'll give you it um and I experienced that of like my heart began to break even more for the people around me but it awakened in me this unquenchable desire to to share the gospel and I've seen so much fruit from that. I've seen people actually come to know the power, the power in the gospel. And it's the most fulfilling thing ever. Like I almost dropped out of school because I thought that I thought that I was just supposed to do that for the rest of my life. And I don't think I'm wrong, but I think uh, I was ignorant to the importance of being a student and the importance of being um, an evangelist and a preacher of the word on a campus that doesn't know it. So yeah, I've, I've had all the thoughts basically, you know, I've in my life gone from kind of just going through the motions to questioning what I believe to kind of understanding it, to fully understanding it, to wanting to drop out and do only that to now I am, you know, still here at school. I'll, I'll be at school. I'm going to get my degree now. Um, but combining the two of, being a student and spreading the gospel um, and getting to practice prudence and um, time management and discernment and getting to walk walk in both of those ways together. Yeah. How's your, how's your experience been here in Athens since you've gotten here? In terms of evangelization? Mm-hmm. Um, when I first got here, I came in guns a blazing. Um, (laughs) I didn't know what it meant to balance at all. And all I wanted to do was talk about Jesus, which isn't bad, 
but there I have obligations such as studying and um, building community and, and doing the things that are very important. Um, and it bit me in the butt because I was in a class that I was supposed to get an A in. It was so easy. And it was a Friday. And I was like, oh, sweet, it's test day. The test closes at 1159. I'm going to drive home this weekend. I'll take the test from home. It'll be a good break. And in the hustle and bustle of my life that I couldn't feel like I couldn't control, the test definitely closed at 1 p.m. And so I missed it. Got a zero. Couldn't make it up. Had to drop the class. Was a wreck. And I was like, mom, like this has never happened to me before. Like I've never missed a test. I've never had a missing assignment before. What is going on? She was like, I think you really need to reconsider what you're doing with your time. And I was like, whoa, okay. And called my friends again, because it's a common theme of mine. It's like when I, can't, when I can't figure something out and I'm frustrated and I'll just like call them and they so gently are like, ask the Lord. And I'm like, dang it. Like I was kind of hoping you would just tell me what to do. Um, and through asking the Lord, he so gently was like, you know, you can glorify me in the ordinary things, right? Like you don't need to be on the street every night spreading the gospel to give me glory. That is a way to give me glory, but you can also give me glory by being obedient and by taking care of yourself because that's also super important. And after that massive catastrophe, what felt like a massive catastrophe, I took a step back um, and I let myself be content where I was with Jesus and let myself be content where everybody else was with Jesus, which kind of ended up biting me in the butt too because I kind of lost the the passion for mission for a minute. Um, And then had a moment again everything happens in moments, I guess, um, where I, Jackson and I had gotten back from doing a night of street ministry and we ran into someone, I don't remember who it was. And they were like, what were you guys doing? And we were like, oh, we were just on the street, like doing street ministry. And it was really awesome. And they're like, oh, that's so cool. You guys do that. I could never do that. And I was like, what? Like, you could never do that. What do you mean? Like everyone could do this. And I was like, why don't people believe that they can do this? And I was like, maybe because no one's told them they can. And re-sparked that zeal for mission. But I've been approaching it in a new way of like being more intentional with my time and then recognizing like when a good, recognizing good opportunities and bad opportunities and, and times for me to share and times for me not to share. Um, and also recognizing my place has been really, really awesome and such a good opportunity for humility because, like, I've learned a lot, but I'm also not in a position to to come in and, like, broadcast what I know. Um, like, I just got here. <laughs> I'm a first year here, and, like, I'm not in a position of leadership. I'm not um, some high and mighty person. I'm just Claire Walker, and... I just love Jesus. And so like recognizing that, you know, like right now, um, like I'm, you know, just supposed to, to be obedient to the little, little nudgings of the Lord. Like I was talking to my spiritual director about basically this, and there's a Psalm. I wish I remember which one it was, but talking about the servant being attentive to the hands of his master. And I was expressing to my spiritual director, I was like, I feel like the Lord isn't speaking to me right now. Like, I feel like I don't hear him right now. And he was like, well, it might be because he's asking you to pay attention to his little nudgings and his little tugs on your heart because a servant was considered a bad servant when the master had to make a lot of commotion to get his his wine glass refilled. But the servant was considered a really good servant if all the master had to do was to lift his finger and then the servant would rush over and fill fill the wine glass back up and... He just affirmed me in the way, um, in a way of saying just like he is pleased in the ways that you are obedient to the little nudgings and the tugs on your heart. Like he doesn't have to make a big commotion for you to move and, and to walk with him. And just like the unifying of my heart to the fathers. Um, 
has been really cool. It's been, it's a lot to figure out. It's a, such a big transition of like online school to summer camp to first in-person school at a really different campus that's really massive and has a ton of different people and still wanting to pursue mission but balancing school. like it's it's a lot um and so it would only make sense that Jesus is speaking to me differently right now because he has to you know how else would he get my attention um so yeah there's it's a, been learning a lot I've been learning something new almost every single week it's like you're actively discerning the different parts of life and how to navigate it prayerfully and continue to seek after Christ. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's it's really fun. It's really, really fun. It's I let it exhaust me at first, but I realized I was relying on myself a lot um, and not relying on the Lord enough and um, was kind of running from poverty and spirit instead of running into poverty and spirit. What is poverty um, and spirit? Just utter dependence on the Lord and recognizing that like flesh is going to fail every single time, but the Lord doesn't. And so, yeah, transitioning into that, like, okay, Lord, like I can't do this or I don't know what to do, but you do and you're providential and you're divine. And so I hand it to you. Like I'm hands off. Like I'm, I'm actually like not going to try and change this. I'm not going to try and work something. I'm literally just going to offer this to you and place it on the altar in front of you and allow you to do whatever it is you want to do with that has been such a key part of all of this discernment and in, in figuring out, you know, what my life looks like right now. Um, it's, it's a really beautiful thing, but it's a really hard thing to surrender control and to take your hands off the wheel is, is really terrifying. But every single time I've done that, I've seen the most fruit from it. Um, like discerning like where to go for my summer. Like that was a moment where I was like, all right, hands off. If I get a yes, I'll go. If I get a no, I won't. I got the yes and I went. And that was the most fruitful summer of my life. And like, even like little situations here of like, I want to talk to this person, but I can't make it happen. Okay, Lord, hands off. You make it happen. And then it, and then it will. And, um, especially with like MK asking me to speak at seeking water. Like that was one of those moments where before she'd even asked me, I was like, okay, Lord, I want to testify, but I can't make that happen. I have no control over that hand, like hands off. I'm going to let you do it. And she texted me and asked me to. And then that day fell on my baptismal day, which was really cool to, be able to testify to the power of the Lord on the day that I was baptized priest, prophet, and king um, was so divinely providential. And yeah, so just like week to week, just recognizing what it is that I can't control that week and surrendering it. So what would you say, you've mentioned sharing the gospel and spreading the gospel and people don't know the gospel. What would you, how would you communicate the gospel? What is the gospel? Like how would I sum it up? Mm-hmm. That Jesus Christ, no, back up, that God sent his only son to this world to eventually die for us in all of our sins and transgressions and with the ultimate mercy just redeem us. Um, and upon his death and resurrection, uh, his spirit remained and his spirit living in all of us has given us a share in the kingdom. And through that, like we are called to bring others into the kingdom because we are actively preparing the way for the Lord. And that's the best news possible because the kingdom and its perfection, like we have a share of that. We have a taste of heaven and that is the ultimate it's I the ultimate keep, good. Yeah, I, I don't even have the words to describe it. It's 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 everything you could possibly dream of and more than. And I think I think honestly how I deliver, you know, what the good news is depends on the person. Sure. Like if they've never heard of the gospel before, I'm not going to say like, "Hey, the power of Christ lives in you." They're going to be like, "What are you talking about?" It's more of an approach of have you heard of Jesus Christ? And like those, those situations don't happen a ton. Most people have. And 
honestly just starting at a relationship and being like, okay, who are you? Like, where do you come from? But you've, you know this gospel and you've come to know it yourself personally, existentially. And so what has that meant to you? How has that um, changed things or like you've encountered this gospel to the point where it's now set you afire to go spread that or share that with others and introduce it. However, yeah, you discern how you communicate that in, in relationship and you build trust with people and so forth. But like, if you go back to the, the gospel message, which you just said, um, you've encountered that at some point over the course of the years or months or whatever, and you constantly encounter it. But like, what has that in a sense done to you or done for you? Why does it mean so much for you? I think because I saw everything that I believed about myself to be completely and utterly false. Like I, I didn't even recognize them as lies. You know, like I thought that I was kind of just like weak. And then it says, in, it says in the Bible, like the Lord gives us a spirit of power and self-control. And I'm like, oh, okay, then that's false. So I started to, I saw, I started to see how I saw myself crumble and I, I began to see how the Lord actually shined through me. And how St. Paul says we are, are be imitators of him as he is of Christ. And so literally I just saw, what it means to me is I saw, I saw myself become who I was meant to be. Like I, I saw myself become authentically joyful for the first time. Like, com- like completely regardless of the circumstances, like, desiring to wake up because I am just filled with the jo- with with this joy because I am alive and that's a gift you know like it which is so hard for people to understand if they don't understand the truth of the gospel like there are so many times especially I means the summer is something easy to relate it to because it was so recent but like I'd wake up so early in the morning absolutely exhausted from the week and could have been so easy to be like Ugh, and just like begrudgingly get ready and, and like lead these girls down to breakfast and eat breakfast with them and then move on to my next activity. But like taking control of the moment and, and claiming victory over the moment, like I had heard these talks eight times, but actually stepping into that and being like, I'm excited because you guys haven't heard this and you're about to hear something that could possibly change your life. And so championing that and that doesn't come without the authentic joy and, and peace of the gospel that I've uncovered. And it's, it's continually changing my life because people notice someone who's authentically joyful and peaceful. And so I think I've been able to, to look back in retrospect because hindsight's twenty twenty. for times in my life that I, I met people when I was younger who were authentically joyful and peaceful. And I, I noticed something different about them, but I didn't put my finger on it. I didn't ask them. And now that I've stepped into that, I'm like, okay, Lord, you're planting seeds that I'm not even aware of. And praise God for your divine providence that I actually like, don't have control over how those grow and how those flourish. Um, it's, it's fascinating. And especially when you get to watch people step into that. Because there are people who have been like, Claire, I've never been this peaceful my entire life. What's going on? And the simple answer is, the Lord is encountering you. Like the Lord is actually like running towards you right now. And he doesn't want to stop. Like he doesn't want it to be confined to a week or a moment you have an adoration because we can't confine him to a moment because that's, that that's, doesn't make any sense because his omnipotence goes beyond a moment. And that, that peace that like people experience in worship or adoration or during a talk or on a conference, like, is real, very, very real, but like I said, not confined to a moment, um, and so the, the gospel made manifest in my life is authenticity and intentionality and ultimately just love, just, like, an abundance and overflow of love, because we are created by love for love in a world that doesn't know love, so it's, it's something hard to walk in because a lot of people won't understand, but they don't have to understand. Um, but given the opportunity to testify, creates understanding sometimes. And that's really beautiful to watch people come to that conclusion. Genuinely because you're, 
carrying yourself as a Christian and as an imitator of Christ. So it's interesting watching or hearing your story uh, from high school and continuing um, encountering these different, you had the social, you had the social group that you had to discern kind of against, and you started to get a leadership position in your church, and then COVID happened, and then you started to pray, and you go back to church, and then you started to, um, again, kind of grow in deeper into the life of the church, perhaps, and then Damascus hit, and you're like you're, and then you come here, and you're still growing and, and learning and discerning and so forth. But it's almost as if like you, at some point, you were caught on fire, and it's only gotten more aflame. You've only become more flame, and you're just sharing that, and it's like overflowing. Your cup is overflowing, and it's pretty wild to see. Uh, like you, you said, your testimony is all over the place. Well, not really. Like it's kind of uh, you've encountered Christ, who has set you afire, and you've only been growing in that in that flame. Uh, you've only been burning brighter and brighter and brighter. Um, and yeah, whenever different situations and and different uh, contexts come up, it's like it, everything you have to almost allow Christ to rearrange everything for us, uh, so that we can continue to burn a flame in that new context or in that new situation. But that's kind of what it seems like, at least in the past few years. It's like, man, you were lit on fire by Christ, and um, and you are burning brightly. Yeah, and that was a concern of mine, honestly, after this summer. Because in high school, I'd go to the retreats, and I'd be lit on fire, and then I'd get home, and I would just, like, crumble. And I, I told someone out of the summer who was walking with me, because they're really smart in the way that they're like, okay, like you're walking with nine girls every week, like every weekend on your time off, you have a pastoral leader and they will be, you know, shepherding you in this time and answering your questions and talking about your week and just like having some place to go. And I was like, I have encountered something I've never encountered before. I don't want to go home and lose it. And it was something I'd heard over and over again. Um, but the importance of a daily prayer life and, totally underestimated it because it was something I'd been doing every single day since being there. They, they carve out an hour of time for the counselors to go and pray for an hour, not even about your campers. Like it is your, your prayer time. What you do with it is on you. Um, and so coming back to school where I wasn't being held accountable for that, like I was my own accountability partner for my prayer time. That fire didn't go out because I was genuinely desiring getting to sit in the father's lap. Like, getting to go to the chapel and be like, oh, I'm here. Like, I want to talk to you. I want to be with you. I desire that. I think if I let my daily prayer life get away from me, I, for sure this, this flame would definitely go out or at least become a lot smaller. And the Lord is just continually fanning my flame. Yeah. Because it doesn't exist without it. Yeah, because it's a gift. Right, it's yeah. it's you fully alive, you more of yourself, and it's because one you've been lit by Christ, lit a flame, and then God just keeps fanning that flame, right? And it's and like the opposite um, is a tendency to think of like, oh gosh, like I have to do all these things in order to, you know, be close to God or be holy or be a saint. But it's doing exactly what you just said is like presenting yourself before Christ who fan, who lights us on fire and who fans the flame. And in so doing, it makes us more of ourselves uh, who we're called to be. Yeah. Yeah. And I um, have been reflecting on St. Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. And um, he, when he starts his letter to them, he, he thanks them for who they are. And um, he, he thanks them for, for recognizing that they are chosen. And um, I, I was sitting in the chapel and couldn't help but give praise to the Lord for the fact that I was chosen to be where I am when I was, if that makes sense. And that every single person here, you, Father Fred, all the sisters, all my peers, that we were chosen to be here when we are. Um, and it's, it's crazy. It's, it's, it's really wild because everybody says like, Oh, you're chosen. 
Well, many are called fewer chosen, actually. And, you know, the way that the way that so many people here are walking, I'm like, no, 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 like they are chosen. They are specifically chosen for that. And that's really beautiful to see how people have been responding to the call in their own ways and together. Um, and it's, it's, it's really beautiful to see obedience played out so well um, and responded to in so much grace. And, yeah, I've just been thinking a lot about um, what, what it means to say yes and, and to swim against the the tide because he continues in Thessalonians he, he was talking to them um I think the title of the the paragraph or whatever it is is like Paul's previous encounters with the Thessalonians was he was like when we were preaching to you like we suffered um we received persecution but we it says something like we were we we preached the gospel or we crud I can't remember it now um, do you know what I'm talking about? What does he say? I don't know. But that's good. I was just, I was literally just in the chapel reading it, but, <laughs> oh, oh, wait, wait. Now I'm just going to have to pull it up because that's going to frustrate me if I don't get it right. But basically in Bible study the other day, I was talking about sugarcoating the gospel and how we can't do that and how our society sugarcoats the gospel and that it makes me really mad and oh here it is yeah okay it talks about being chosen um and how the gospel didn't come to us in word alone but in power with the holy spirit and with conviction um and then it continues uh and talks about paul's ministry above uh among them but it says that we they were judged worthy by God to be entrusted with the gospel, and that is how we speak, not trying to please human beings, but rather God who judges our hearts. That's what I was trying to get at, um, is how swimming against the tide and uh, sugarcoating the gospel, a lot of people preaches to please others and not preaches to please God and are more concerned about offending others than they are about offending God. And um, I've seen such a beautiful testimony of people who are, unashamed of the truth of the gospel and don't want to sugarcoat it and that's really refreshing really 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 refreshing um because that's when the world changes when people stop running from the truth and run away from objective truth because objective truth is completely completely vandalizing our culture like it is such a plague among so many people it's like okay like you believe this I respect that. That's awesome. But I'm going to do this. Like the word respect means to have admiration for. So like for a Protestant to look at us and to say like, I respect that you believe that Jesus Christ is body, blood, soul, and divinity on your altar every Sunday. I respect that. That actually like doesn't make a ton of sense because they're saying that they like deeply admire that. But if they deeply admired that, but continue to practice something differently, like they would have to recognize us as blasphemous because if it's, if, if what we believe isn't true, then it's so blasphemous. And to, to watch so many people around us, around me be unapologetic for what they believe and be like, yes, this is true. And I believe this with my whole heart literally makes my soul light up because there's such a crisis, like I said, of... Mm-hmm. It's a grace. Yeah. And a, the conviction, right? It, it's a, them being a flame as well. Yeah. It's, it's wild. I, I really, really pray um, for more holy boldness, like, every single day. Because I fail all the time. Like, so many times I put in my AirPods on campus, and I'm like, I don't want to talk to everyone, anyone, so I just, like, dart. Um, or, like someone will be like, Claire, like, where do you go to church? And I'll be like, oh, like, I'm at the Catholic Center. And, like, we'll just, like, dismiss it. Or, like, we'll avoid conversation. And shame on me for the times I've done that. Um, because it's it's not because I, I can't back it up. But I don't want to make anyone uncomfortable. I don't want to rustle the feathers. But 
that's literally the only way that people are going to know the truth is if someone's like, all right, uncomfortability aside, like, let's talk. And, you know, not to be rude about it, like, (laughs) this is back to Thessalonians again, like, further down, it talks about how, like, we're still called to be gentle in our delivery. Like, when we share the gospel, we're sharing ourselves. We don't, we don't come in with, like, a sword and, like, try and be, be harsh in our delivery. You, there, there's no ministry without love. And so if you go in with love and you go in, like, for the sake of the other person, there's so much goodness in that. But it, come, it becomes corrupted when the only reason you're sharing the gospel is to see, is to, see, is to prove someone wrong or uh, for, like, impure motives. Mm-hmm. You're a living witness. I like what you just said. The communication of the gospel or the propagation of the gospel, you said you're sharing yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Which is, again, you encountered this person, Christ, who has set you a fire, set you a flame, and has been stoking this fire, fanning this flame, and then you communicating yourself to the other people. It begins and forms and happens in relationship, in communication. It's not what we said earlier, which is like, okay, well, what is the gospel? Well, here's the you know one or two lines of the strict, abstract gospel message. But like we're part, we're the communicators of the gospel. We communicate and witness ourselves. And in so doing, we witness Christ, this person who can set us afire, make us more of our own selves and and fan this flame uh, that literally is contagious or, and very powerful and very peaceful and joyful and um, brings a ton of confidence. And I like that the communication of oneself. Yeah. Because Without the gospel, like, I'm nothing. I'm, I'm merely flesh and bone. Like, we, I think a lot of times uh, we forget that um, we're body and soul. And I think a lot of, like, people who aren't living in light of the gospel, you know, are living, like, just their body. But as Christians, we have the privilege of recognizing that we are body and soul. Yet they're together, but they're, that they're, they're separate as well. Um, and how we can feed both of those. And if we just live for our body, then there's nothing really to live for. But if we live for our body and our soul, we live for an everlasting life. And without the truth of the gospel, that doesn't exist. And so in sharing the gospel, I'm literally sharing myself because I don't exist without it. And it's such a gift. Like evangelization is such a gift because you, in the giving of yourself, you allow someone to recognize who they are. And it's an exchanging of persons, which is, which is so beautiful. So beautiful. Like a contract is, is an exchanging of things. It's an exchanging of property. It's an exchanging of goods. And then a covenant is an exchanging of persons, uh, an exchanging of, an exchanging of, you know, internal communion, which is what we're made for. And the Lord entered a covenant with each and every one of us. And we have to, we have to share that covenant with other people because it's the the greatest thing ever. Like it doesn't compare to any, anything else on this, on this earth. Do you ever have FOMO for anything that's happening in Athens, like like you, like you move to a one of the biggest university towns in the country, and yet you're choosing to sit in the chapel every single day, right? Yeah, it's like you don't. It's interesting because I don't know. Most people are trying to figure out what they're going to do this weekend, or figure out you know what they're going to do tonight or whatever, and yet you're choosing to place yourself in the pew, in a wooden pew, in a goofy church. <laughs> and Use the word goofy. That's and you, funny. And you place yourself there. I mean, not everyone is trying to do that. You're doing it. Do you have FOMO elsewhere of like, man, I wish I could be doing this or that. And it's like, maybe that's a perhaps a temptation some I days. Mean, but yeah, that's that's... That's an interesting subject because, like, 
I went to like I didn't have friends in high school, like I said. But after graduation and like after because I graduated the COVID year, after we all got sent home and the social groups really dissipated, there were people that I got close to that I went to school with that I never talked to during school. So I have friends here that I went to school with my whole life who I'm very close to who are in sorority life and fraternity life um, that I truly desire to be around because they're really great friends of mine, but they're involved in a different scene. Um, And I think the FOMO isn't centered around the partying, but around the just like kind of careless fun. And um, yeah, but I've also found ways to, to, uh, to do that without having to put myself in, in way of temptation mm-hmm. because I had this realization, um, not too long ago, I had a really incredible experience in confession a couple months ago, which kind of aided in the upward trajectory of my relationship with the Lord and talking about the near temptation of sin. Um, and we say, uh, avoid all near temptation of sin. Um, and other temptation is bad. Like Jesus was tempted in the desert. Uh, we, we fall to temptation when we no longer put up a fight. St. John Paul II talked about that in light of purity. And like when we, when we have these thoughts, the moment we stop fighting them off is the moment we fall to lust. But if we're actively fighting off those, those thoughts, then we're winning. We're, we're, we are conquering the temptations of the devil. And so I have those temptations. Yes. Because like that was a part of my life at one point, but recognizing where the temptation is coming from. Is it coming from the place to actually participate? No, it's coming from a place of, I want to see, I want to feel seen. I want to feel acknowledged. Okay. Where's that coming from? Oh, I like, haven't seen, like, haven't talked to my friends in a while. I haven't done this in a while. Be like, okay, how can I actually fix that without putting myself in your temptation of sin? Let me see what like my friend's doing. What if she wants to get coffee? Or like finding finding the root of the temptation. Because I think some people just like look at the temptation, they're like, okay, fulfill, and they go out and they go downtown. But there's a deeper, there's a deeper cause to that. I mean, there's seven main desires. I don't know them all. And I think it's like um to be to be seen, to be known, to be heard, to be loved, to be uh to belong. There's like a, there's seven of them, but you can, you can identify, you know, where that's coming from by recognizing like what you're lacking in. And it's not, it's not a bad thing. Like temptation is not like a, this is like really bad. Like you're a sinner. This is the worst thing ever because temptation is so natural. But yeah, the FOMO has been um, honestly a really beautiful thing for me because it's allowed me to identify the parts of my soul that are thirsty and then ask why they're thirsty because I'm not letting the Lord fill them because I'm pushing him away in those areas. And like the, yeah, honestly, just that. I used to have a mentor, spiritual director always ask me the question, how are you letting yourself be loved? How are you letting yourself be loved? How are you letting yourself be cared for or loved in these areas where I need them, where I need to be loved and cared for? And if I don't know those areas that I need to, that I need, where I need to be loved, uh, it's like, how can I receive it there? Um, and so it comes with prayer of being honest and saying, that's why I, I, I approach it in, in terms of honest prayer of going to chapel and saying, um, Lord, like I, I want to say, for example, go downtown to this bar with this person. It's like, all right, well, like what is my desire there? That's, that's not the root desire. And then like coming to that root desire and open that and up and say, well, I want to, um, belong or be seen or be appreciated or whatever. And then there it is opening that passage or that door, allowing for God to, speak into that and love me in that uh it's transformative yeah i mean self-knowledge breeds the ultimate form of compassion and the more you get to know yourself and your own brokenness the more you're able to meet others in their in their brokenness and and love them through that but you can't you can't step into that with others if you don't step into it with yourself if you don't know 
your yourself and you don't know your own desires and where you're lacking and what you're desiring, then good luck trying to, to assist others in that. Because in the same way, like you, you will find out more about yourself the more you find out about the father and the father created the person across from you. And so, yeah, like you have, you have to, you have to know yourself first before you begin to know others. And the more you ignore that, the more it's going to become evident that you don't like, um, your, your weaknesses will be exposed in time and they might become issues in the future. You know, like they might implode and, and cause some serious, serious issues. So yeah, it's, it's really, it's really incredible to, to see what your heart is truly desiring, truly desiring. And a lot of times it, I've the most common thing that I've realized amongst myself and my friends is desire to be seen and heard. Like, why do girls dress immodestly? Oh, they want to be seen. Okay, why are people blasting so and so on social media? They want to be heard. Why does so and so want to go and dance at that bar downtown? Oh, they want to be seen and heard. Why does so and so like want to hook up with him? Oh, she wants to be loved and known. Like they, everything has an explanation. Everyone's just looking for the answers in the wrong place. That's why there's an urgency to this gospel. Like, because there's literally like people are losing their souls because they don't know how to quench the desires of their heart because they're not being told because everyone doesn't, no one wants to make anyone uncomfortable, which is so sad, so sad. And that's honestly what keeps me going. Cause I'm like, oh my gosh, like I'm actually being so fulfilled in a way that I've never been fulfilled in my life. And I've actually let go of that part of myself that I thought was like so fun and the best. And I felt like everyone like knew what I was doing and whatever. I, I belong to the world. I let go of that. And I've found myself and I want so badly for others to be able to find themselves because they don't even know that they're lost. So what's awesome is that there is this good news Right, we're not just kind of left to our own regard or left with these desires that we can't fulfill that have no answer to them. That whenever I live live out of them, uh, there's not there's um, I continue to meet things that are unsatisfactory or unfulfilling, and like that would be absolutely absurd. Yeah, is is if it's like this is all that we have and all we there's nothing that actually fulfills. I just have to continue to do whatever I can. Uh, but the good news is that, no, there's actually something that can overflow our cup or can overflow our hearts and does speak to the actual desires of our own hearts. Uh, that's huge. That's life-changing. It changed your life, changed my life. It's life-changing news that, uh, like you said, has this urgency. Yeah, I mean, and and the Lord knows your desires before you even know them yourself. I mean, there, there are so many times that I'm like, okay, Lord, like, I don't even know what I need right now, but praise God that you do because you can, you can assist me in that. You can reveal to me what it is that I desire right now. Like he knows before we know, and that's such a gift and so reassuring that, um, we don't have to depend on ourselves to find something. We don't need to go searching because we're already seen and we're already, you know, taken care of and sheltered um, is the gift that keeps on giving. Absolutely. Dogs Podcast. The Catholic Center is located at 1344 South Lumpkin Street. For more info on how you can get involved, check out our Instagram at Catholic Dogs. See you at Mass.